Well, we're continuing our study of the gospel according to Mark. So open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Today we're going to talk about Jesus' power over demons. Now, last week he calmed the storm. He, he has power over danger. He has power over demons. And in the next few weeks, we're going to see that Jesus has power over disease and he has power even over death itself. Now, I was in college uh, 1973 when the movie The Exorcist came out starring Linda Blair about a demon-possessed girl. How many of you have heard of that movie or seen it or something? Yeah. You know, it was not biblical, okay, but it, it was kind of scary. It got everybody sort of almost like obsessed with the idea of demons, and I can remember that time having to do a lot of corrective teaching to the churches that, were, uh, that I was serving at the time. Um, I had a friend that I taught with overseas many years. His name is Greg Smith. He attended Hardin-Simmons. And about this time that movie came out, he said he lived in a dorm, and the two guys in the room above his dorm room, they would play their stereo way too loud, way too late at night. And so he would, had asked them several times, please turn it down or turn it off earlier, and they just ignored it. So one day when those two students were gone, he got a master key from the RA and he went in their room and he, he put the speaker wires from his stereo outside through the window and connected it to their speakers and disconnected their speaker wires. And that night, he said about midnight, he cranked his stereo up at full blast. All of a sudden, these guys are in their room. They woke up at the sound of that music. They went over there to try to turn their stereo down. Nothing happened. They even tried unplugging the stereo, and nothing happened. They said they went running out in the hallway saying, our stereo is demon-possessed. And the next day, he reversed the wires again, and he said, you know, they never played their music loud again late at night. So <laughs> those speakers weren't demon-possessed. But we're going to talk about one of the most unusual descriptions of demon control, how a man's life had been so devastated and destroyed by a number of demons. And so let's read about it here. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, you're welcome to stand with me if you're willing and able as we read this passage. They came to the other side of the sea to the region of the Gerasenes, also called Gadarenes. And as soon as he, Jesus, got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down, <clears throat> knelt down before him, and he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he, that is Jesus, had already told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? Jesus asked him. My name is Legion. Now, a legion was 6,000 Roman soldiers, he answered him, because we are many. And he begged, this is the demon, begged Jesus, him, earnestly, not to send them out of the region. Now, in Luke's account, the demons say, don't send us into the bottomless pit before our time. In other words, they know where they're going to end up. 
They just didn't want to go at that time. Verse 11. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us into the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed, notice the difference, sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to not stay and do more miracles, to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him, that is Jesus, earnestly, that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Verse 20, so he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, meaning ten towns that were there together, how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this amazing story of how you delivered a tormented man and totally changed his life. Because I know that you are still in the business of changing the lives of men and women. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Be seated. I've told you before that I've been to Israel over 30 times. And we know exactly where this spot was because there's only one spot on the uh, eastern side of the Sea of Galilee that fits this description. So here's a short video clip of when I was there a few years ago. I'm standing here on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus cast thousands of demons out of one poor tortured man and put them instead into 2,000 pigs that were here. Now this is Gentile territory. There would never be pigs over in the kosher side, the western side of the Sea of Galilee. But remember, this is Gentile territory. And so there was a huge pig farm here. And when Jesus cast the demons into those pigs, they went running down this steep cliff you see beside me, and they ran into the water, and they killed themselves. If the devil could have his way with you, the same thing would happen to you that happened to those pigs. And so allow Jesus to speak to you and to set you free from any kind of bondage or any kind of obsessions that may be controlling your life right now. As I said, it's one of the most amazing stories and de uh, most descriptive accounts of someone who is controlled by not just one demon, but by a number of demons. Now, today, you don't hear much about demons. We call them obsessions, appetites, addictions, things like that. But uh, just, just imagine, okay, they just come through the storm on the sea, okay? And it was nighttime, and Jesus calmed the storm. And I can imagine when the boat got to the eastern shore that uh, some of the disciples got out and maybe even kissed the ground, so happy to be on solid ground again, not on a stormy sea. And then they look up, and here comes this guy screaming at the top of his lungs, running down the hill toward them, chains dangling from his wrists and feet, bleeding from the, where he'd cut himself, and Luke tells us he was totally naked. I can imagine when some of the disciples saw that, they said, well, hey, we're going to get back in the boat <laughs> Go back to the other side. Uh, they, they, they fought 
a meteorological storm. Now this was a mental and, and emotional storm that was raging inside this man. And this whole detail about the pigs, I mean, that's just amazing, isn't it? Uh, how descriptive it is. By the way, this is the first account of deviled ham in the Bible. Because <laughs> those demons went in those pigs and the pigs ran. They, I mean, they went hog wild. We're running down that hill. They did a perfect swine dive into the lake. I guess you could say they committed suicide. Okay, that's all for today, okay? I'm not going to torture you anymore. You know, demons are real. And uh, Nate referred to C.S. Lewis, the Tales of Narnia earlier. Uh, he also, C.S. Lewis also wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, which is a really good book in that it's fiction but it is an imaginary series of letters, 31 different letters, uh, that a chief demon named Screwtape sends to his, uh, a lesser demon, who's actually his nephew, called Wormwood. Because Wormwood was assigned to a man in England who was called the patient. And these are a series of letters where Screwtape is advising Wormwood how to torment, tempt his subject, who's the patient. And his main job is to keep him from becoming a Christian. But in the book, in the letters, uh, the man meets a Christian woman and falls in love with her and actually becomes a Christian. And in the end, Wormwood is punished because he didn't fulfill the desire of screw tape. So if you want to know something about that, uh, by the way, for any of you who are college students, that's a great book report to do uh, a study on and turn as, as a research paper because it'll teach you a lot about what C.S. Lewis believed about the operation of demons. But what we want to talk about today is let's, let's look at this case as a case study of how you can be delivered from the devil's control, okay? So there's three things this guy did, and these are the three things that we need to do if we want to stay away from the devil's control. Number one, run to Jesus and cry out in desperation. This man still had enough self restraint and self-control that when Jesus came, he ran and fell at his feet and said, help me, Jesus. What he actually said, and this was probably the demon speaking through him, he said, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, what, what does this show us? It shows us that demons understand who Jesus really is. In fact, in the book of James chapter 2, uh, James says, well, you believe? Well, that's good. He says, even the demons believe and tremble. All the demons believe in Jesus Christ. They know that he is the son of the most high God, but just believing that he is the son of God doesn't save you. You must put saving trust in Jesus Christ. Now, let's remember that the devil is a fallen angel named Lucifer, okay? We call him Satan, and he is not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He, don't make him a lesser God. He is a fallen angel. He has an organized, demonized army of other fallen angels that he uses for his purpose. And, and when I say that, Satan can't be everywhere at one time. I think he reserves his activity probably to the world leaders. I mean, I can imagine he's been in the Kremlin a good bit these last few weeks working on Putin in his murderous rage against Ukraine. How do you recognize the work of the devil and his demons? Well, here's how Jesus said you can look for him. In Luke, John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief, that's the devil, 
comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So whenever you see killing, stealing, and destruction, you know that it has the fingerprints of the devil and his demons on it. Now, I've often been asked as a pastor through the years, Pastor, can a Christian be demon-possessed? Well, I'm not even sure that's a good question to ask because the term demon-possession is really just a term that that the translators of the Bible uh, invented. It really doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. Uh, You may be surprised to hear that, even though we read it twice. The word is just demonized. It's one word, demonized. And my mentor and friend, Ray Stedman, who's with the Lord now, he writes this about this. The New Testament never actually uses the term demon possession. It is a term which has been invented, but it may not be very accurate. The word in Scripture is always demonized. Whether it means possession or control or influence, this is the word which is used. We have read into it the idea of demon possession, but I do not think it wise to use it because it is not used in Scripture. It is evident that there are various stages and degrees to which demons, evil spirits, can affect or control human beings. And so, yeah, the devil's first priority for you is to keep you from coming to faith in Christ. But once you come to faith in Christ, then he doesn't just leave you alone. His, the devil and his demons want to make you ineffective as a Christian. They don't want you to obey God. They don't want you to glorify God. They don't want you to uh, share your faith. They want you to stay backslidden, carnal, Christian like that. So know that they are real and they operate on us. And sometimes when we are struggling and we're, we're having problems, uh, we don't want to admit that we need a problem. But the very first thing you've got to do is say, God, I need your help, and cry out in desperation. You know, Vance Habner used to say, the problem is the situation is desperate, but the saints are not desperate. And there are a lot of people who think they can help themselves. You know, one of the greatest oxymorons I know of is that section in a bookstore that's called self-help books. That's an oxymoron, self-help. You know, other oxymorons like jumbo shrimp, humble Texan, <laughs> self-help. We can't, we can't help ourselves. In fact, Jesus said that we need to crucify self every day and cry out to Jesus in desperation. That's what the first step this man did. Here's the second thing. You need to be willing to identify your demons. In other words, before you can ever get help, you got to admit what your problem is. That's why Jesus asked What is your name? Now, Jesus knew who the demons were. He knew their names. He knew their their appetites and obsessions. But he wanted them to admit. So they said, we are legion. There there are many of us. And before you'll ever seek help, you've got to say, this is my problem. I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I am addicted to drugs. I am addicted to pornography. You must name your problem. Now, in the life of this one case study we see four uh, symptoms of demon control. What are they? Number one, we see the evidence of sexual perversion. Sexual perversion, because we read in Luke's account, Luke 8, 27, that this man wore no clothing. He was naked all the time. And, you know, the Bible talks about how sexual sin can 
can get us into trouble, both adultery and fornication. And today, pornography is a huge problem in America today. It is a 40 billion with a B a year business in the United States. And the latest statistics say that over 48% of men and boys over 18 view pornography at least once a month. Now, see, God gave us a sex drive, and it is a good thing. It is to be used only in the confines and relationship of marriage. In fact, it's a beautiful thing in marriage. Hebrews 1.4 in the message says, Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. So one of the areas of the devil's greatest temptation and one of his areas of greatest damage in the lives of people, both Christian and non-Christian, is in sexual temptation and sexual perversion. Here's a second uh, symptom, obsession with death. Did you know that he, the Bible says about this man in Mark 5, 3, he lived in the tombs. In other words, he felt more at home with corpses than he did with dead people. And there are some people that are just so crazy-minded that they are obsessed with the idea of death and dying. And they even have seances, some of them, where they try to contact the dead. You say, Pastor, you believe in ghosts? Absolutely. I believe in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> but if I believe you can, you can contact the spirits of the people who've died or departed, no, I don't believe you can do that. I think a lot of people have been misled by that. It may be demons imitating you know, your Aunt Gertrude who died 10 years ago or something like that. But I think it's very dangerous for you to be so obsessed with that you try to contact people who have died. But this man showed a symptom of living in the tombs. By the way, one of the reasons we know exactly where this was is till today you can see the tombs up on those cliffs and mountains where the pigs ran down. Number three, the third symptom is violent behavior. Violent behavior. I mean, this guy was so hard to control that he would break chains. And it says in Mark 5, 4, he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. So folks, what, what does cause a man to go into a school in Uvalde, Texas and, and, and murder those students and teachers? What causes a man to drive to Buffalo, New York and go to a predominantly African-American supermarket and and kill those people, to murder them in cold blood. People talk about gun control. People talk about mental illness, and mental illness is a real problem, and it's not the same thing as demon possession. But I think every time murder happens, the devil has his fingerprints on it. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Did you know we are a violent, violent culture? If you look at the number of mass shootings... And the FBI considers a mass shooting in which one shooter shoots at at least four people. We have had more mass shootings in 2022 than there are calendar days. We're on track to have more mass shootings in America than we have 365 days in this year. And somebody said we might as well just always keep the flag at half mass because there's so much violence in our culture. And the devil has a part of that and his demons. And then number four, a fourth symptom is self-abuse. Self-abuse. It says, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out 
and cutting himself with stones. Now, there are, there's a practice among some young people and even some young adults of cutting themselves. And they're called cutters. It's pretty common. Uh, the interesting thing is that about 70% of cutters are females. And I've even spoken with some uh, people who at one time were involved in cutting themselves, cutting and they usually keep it covered up with long sleeves or on their legs. And you ask them, why do you do that? And it's because, here's what all of them say, I have such deep inner pain that I can't really identify. I, I can't really put my finger on, at least when I'm cutting myself, I know why I'm hurting. Well, this guy was one of the first cutters. It says he took stones and he cut himself. Self-abuse, and the ultimate self-abuse, of course, is suicide. And why did those pigs run down into the water and drown themselves? Because they had less restraint than that poor, tormented man who at least had resisted the impulse of those demons for him to take his life. But if the devil had his way with you, that's what he would have every one of you do. End your life. Self-abuse, and whereas most cutters are females, it's interesting that the greater percentage of those who commit suicide are males. And so anytime you see some of these symptoms, you can't always say this is what demon control is, but at least in this case, these are four very clear symptoms of demonic control. Well, let's go to the good news. Jesus cast the demons out of the man, and the next thing you know, he was sitting there in his right mind, Wearing clothes completely changed. And so the third step on deliverance from bondage is tell others how Jesus had cha- has changed you. Now, this man, as Jesus is getting ready to leave, he follows him to the boat and says, Hey, I want to go with you. Take me with you. I want to become your 13th disciple. And here's what Jesus said, Mark 5, 19. Jesus said, Go home. And that's a word that means to your household, not to your hometown. Go to your household, to your own people, and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in those ten cities how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. Because people knew about about this guy. They, They knew what a crazy man he was. They knew the story of him being in the tombs, cutting himself, breaking shackles, not wearing any clothes, and suddenly... He's in his right mind. And that's what Jesus can do for you when you come and fall at his feet. But there's a good chance this guy had a family back home. Can you imagine this little town where he lived? A knock comes on the door. The wife goes to the door and she sees her husband. Immediately she protects the children and says, no, you don't. You're not coming back in here. You're not welcome back in this house. Kids, get behind me. Because she had been abused. They had been abused. But she looked at this man, it was her husband, and sees he's wearing clothes, and there seems to be a different look about his countenance. And he says, sweetheart, I'm not your old husband. I'm so sorry for how I treated you and the kids, but I met a man, and his name is Jesus. And now I'm a totally changed man, and sweetheart, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And he embraces his wife, and he embraces his children. And there is a family that is restored because of the power of Jesus. And Jesus can change individuals, and he can change families as well. Now, there's one part of the story, though, I don't don't want you to miss. Context is everything. 
I've often said a text without context is a pretext. What happened last week? They're in the, on the lake. Jesus had said, we got, we're going to the other side of the lake. Why were they going to the other side of the lake? Why did they sail through a storm to get to the other side of the lake? Jesus only did one thing. And he knew he was only going to do one thing. But he traveled all the way across the stormy sea just to help one individual, one tortured man, who perhaps had enough self-control at one moment to cry out, God, please help me. I can't do this alone. I need your help. Or perhaps a prayer of his wife. Oh, God, please do something for my husband. But it was enough to make the Son of God travel across the, the lake to help one man. And you know what that means? That means your Creator has gone to great lengths to bring you the story of salvation. And if you were the only person who needed a Savior, Jesus would have died on the cross for you. You know, I can remember the very first song I ever sang as a solo in my church. And the first, I was only about, you know, seven or eight years old. And the first line said, years I spent in vanity and pride. And that, I hadn't spent a lot of years in vanity and pride. Caring not my Lord had been crucified. I, 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 that was not true either, but I, I sang those words. Actually, those words are to a song that, w- that were written by William Newell in 1895. He was a professor of New Testament at Moody Bible Institute. And one day he was just meditating. He was teaching a class on Romans, and he was meditating on the power of the cross. And before class, he turned and used envelope over and began to write a poem. And the last verse of that poem in that song that we sing says, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy, there was great. And grace was free. Pardon, there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. At Calvary, and that's where you can find liberty today at the cross of Jesus. Let's pray. Many of you have already received that grace and mercy and pardon, but if you haven't, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. And if you're watching on live stream, you can just pray this prayer wherever you are. Just mean it sincerely from your heart. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I know I can never be good enough to earn your forgiveness. So I need your grace. I believe that Jesus came and died on the cross for my sins. And so right now, Jesus, please come into my life. I want to give you control of my life. Be seated on the throne of my life as my King and Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sin. I will live for you forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.